The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus, again in reply, spoke to the chief priests and elders of the people in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He dispatched his servants to summon the invited guests to the feast, but they refused to come. A second time he sent other servants, saying, Tell those invited, Behold, I have prepared my banquet. My calves and fatted cattle are killed, and everything is ready. Come to the feast. Some ignored the invitation and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. The rest laid hold of his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged and sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy to come. Go out, therefore, into the main roads and invite to the feast whomever you find. The servants went out into the streets and gathered all they found, bad and good alike, and the hall was filled with guests. The Gospel of the Lord. I, uh, I wanted to uh, do uh, two things in uh, the homily today. First, uh, just talk a little bit about the gospel, and then mostly I wanted to focus on um, one line from the second reading. Um, the uh, gospel, in the gospel, Jesus uses the image of a wedding banquet hosted by a king in order to uh, speak about invitations to life with God especially how often uh, those invitations are rejected. Um, I know that you had a uh, meditation this morning on it, so I didn't feel the need to to go into the gospel in full. But I did want to just say a few words in particular about uh, the part of the parable where the city is um, destroyed by the king. Uh, I noticed it wasn't in your meditation, and... Uh, I think it can be misunderstood, especially if we view the king in the parable as a a figure of God, then it seems very shocking, vindictive, that this king uh, responds by destroying the city. Um, So um, I mostly wanted to just spend a a couple minutes on that. Um, I think to understand what's going on there, it's helpful to keep two things in mind. The first is, um, earlier in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus described his father as loving his enemies. And so we know that uh, personal vindictiveness is not the way of God the Father. Um, So this part of the parable actually is a good example of why the Catholic approach to Scripture is not to take a passage in isolation, but always to read one part of Scripture in light of the entirety, because other parts bring understanding that maybe aren't so clear just a passage in isolation. Second thing is, with, uh, with parables in general, all the details are not to be applied literally. Um, in parables, what's central is the main point being made. So all the elements of the parable do not always fit neatly because they aren't the focus. Or the way I might say it, when Jesus tells parables, he often doesn't sweat the details. Now, those are secondary. 
The parable is aimed at uh, the underlying point or the significant point, which is uh, the Lord's invitations to come to life in him. I think what's going on there when Jesus includes that part uh, in the parable is he's giving a prophecy of warning about the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, it's helpful to remember this, is, this parable is given at pretty much at the end of Matthew's gospel. So he's in Jerusalem, it's Holy Week. Uh, he's been preaching and teaching for years now and trying to um, get through to the religious leaders. Um, so the point is Jesus is warning them that by not accepting him who comes to bring peace through the path of forgiveness and mercy, that the religious leaders of his day are risking traveling down a road that's gonna to lead to uh, violence and destruction. And in fact, in 70 AD, the Romans under Titus crushed a rebellion in um, Israel by destroying the city of Jerusalem and killing its inhabitants. So I think that's what's going on there. It's a, it's a prophetic warning to them. And I, I hope that, anyway, those a few comments help better to kind of understand what the parable is about and especially that part. But as I mentioned, what I really wanted to um, focus on in particular was um, a line from the second reading where St. Paul says, God will fully supply whatever you need in accord with his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Um, and as I was uh, preparing for Mass, especially in light of the theme of our retreat, that line particularly uh, struck me because I, I do think it fits into the theme of the retreat. Namely, the great things that God has for us and the importance in us uh, receiving them and understanding them, the importance of prayer. Um, Pope Benedict, referring to St. Augustine, uh, says prayer is an exercise of desire. Um, and he wrote, and I quote, man, I mean humanity, the human person, was created for greatness. Sound familiar? Man was created for greatness. He was created to be filled by God, but his heart is too small for the greatness to which it is destined. It must be stretched. In other words, what the Pope uh, citing to St. Augustine is, we, we expect too little from God. Our vision is too myopic, too focused. God's vision is much bigger than ours. And so prayer is an exercise of having God stretching our hearts to receive the great things that he has for us, or as Paul says, the glorious riches that he has for us in Christ Jesus. I wanted to um, tell you a story that, that for me uh, very much illustrates this point. It was shared with me um, by a religious sister, um, and just in case you're wondering, it's not one of our Carmelite sisters. So. Sister, was that you? No. Um, and in fact, at the time this story took place, she was not a sister. She was in high school. But she, only, she was shopping for a prom dress with her friend. And she said, I came across a dress that fit perfectly in every way. And she added, an unusual thing, because no alterations were needed. Now, I don't know, maybe you understand that better than me. <laughs> I mean, when I go shopping for clothes, pants, okay, black. Check the label, right width, right length. Okay, let's head to the checkout. Um, I take it that, anyway, okay, I think you got it. So she comes across a dress that she says fit perfectly in every way, no alterations needed. And I quote her, the dress was beautiful, 
He was elegant, classy, and flattering. I looked at myself in the mirror and just felt beautiful and captivating. I have to say, maybe that's another man-woman thing. I don't ever remember looking in the mirror and saying, <laughs> my father Paul, you look beautiful and captivating. But she did. But when I looked at the price tag, I knew there was no way I could afford it. I didn't want to ask my parents to get it for me. I convinced myself that buying it was superfluous and superficial, and that was that. But my friend kept encouraging me to call my dad and ask him if he would buy it for me. I refused because I had resigned myself to the fact that my dad would not get it for me. My friend was very persistent, and just to appease her and to prove to her that I was right, I called my dad and I asked about the dress. And then the sister said, there was no hesitation in his voice, and he responded with, of course I will get the dress for you. And she added, I was dumbfounded. She told me later uh, what she learned from that uh, event. She said, you know, my dad was so generous, and I put limits on his love. Um, in his generosity, he wanted to give me the desire of my heart, even something as small as a prom dress. And I was ready to forget the whole thing because I was sure he would deny me. She said, I didn't know the extent of my father's love for me. I didn't let myself know it. And therefore, I almost denied myself from receiving what he was trying to give me. Um, you know, what strikes me particularly in light of our retreat is, is not only did she receive from her father what she wanted when she asked, but she also received something much greater, um, a deeper knowledge and experience of her father's love for her. And sisters, the same is true for us and our Heavenly Father. So often in prayer, I think, our focus can be centered on this particular thing that we're praying for, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think often what God is trying to do is to stretch our hearts to receive greater things that he has for us. And of these things, the greater is the deeper and more intimate relationship with him. So she got her dress, but she got something more, a deeper knowledge of her father's love for her. Um, let me share with you one, uh, one other aspect of the story, because uh, a sister told me that she still remembers her father on that prom night, waiting for her in the living room, waiting for her to come down. And she says, as I walked down the stairs in my dress, with my hair done up, I saw the look on my father's face. I felt loved. I felt captivating. I felt beautiful. Did I need the dress to feel loved and beautiful? No. My dad's love was deeper than the fact that I was beautifully done up. But what did his purchasing the dress enable? It enabled me to see the look in his eye as I walked down the stairs, the look of being delighted in, the look of joy he had because of me, the look of being deeply loved just for being me. You know, ever since I... Um, 
found out I was going to be here this weekend, I've been praying every day uh, for the retreat. And in particular, one of the things I was praying for is that you would not only um, have an experience of God's love for you on this retreat, but that you would return home um, committed to um, pursuing that relationship, especially by praying daily. Um, and so I'd like to encourage you as you leave to begin prayer when you do leave here by doing what St. Ignatius recommends. I mentioned it the other night, that he recommends when we go to pray, that we go to the place we're going to pray and we stop. And we take the length of an Our Father to consider how God looks at us. I would, be encourage, I, I would encourage you, when you go to pray like that, to stop and be open to God, the experience of God looking at you like that sister's father looked at her. The look of being delighted in, the look of joy he has for you, his daughter, the look of being deeply loved just for being who you are. And I say that not just, you know, kind of as a wish to you, but because I'm convinced that really is the way your Heavenly Father looks at you.